Brought to you by the WZIP Sports Team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Over well, I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the Steelers. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Power Talk Overtime. And as you can tell by the title of this podcast, the UFC crew is back, and this time for UFC 277 at American Airlines Center in Dallas, July 30th, headlined by Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. My name is Alex Henry, and I am joined by none other than the one, the only Jake Murren. What's going on, everybody? It's great to be back. I'm very confident in my picks, and hopefully I make up some ground today. We will see. I'm also very excited to break down these fights and give my predictions. But first, the UFC has announced some huge fights. And while we're not going to break those fights down right now or necessarily give our final predictions, we can definitely talk about them. And first, I want to kick it off with a big one. Diaz versus Chemaev. And Jake, I'm just going to kick it off right off the bat. What are your thoughts on this fight? Man, Nate Diaz has his fight. He's been asking for a fight for so long. It seems like every single month on Twitter, he's been asking the UFC for a fight. At this point, I honestly don't think Diaz cared who he fought. He just wanted to get that last fight on his contract out of the way, get out of the UFC, and potentially go box Jake Paul. That's a fight I'm definitely interested in. Right. We'll see what happens. But, man, it's, it just seems like... It's something out of a movie right here with Dana White and Hamzat Shemaev. It almost is like Dana White's hiring Shemaev as his assassin to take Nate Diaz out. And I know we're not breaking this down. I know we're not giving predictions. But honestly, that's what I think is going to happen because Shemaev is probably the biggest star in the UFC that doesn't have a belt around his waist yet. And Diaz, I mean, we saw what he looked like against Leon Edwards. He had that one flash in the fifth round. I don't think you get a flash like that against Hamzat Shemaev. And if you're Diaz, I hate this matchup, but at the same time, he asked for it, and he wants out of the UFC, and he got it. So we'll see what happens. I don't love that it's the headliner of a pay-per-view because I don't think it's going to be a competitive fight, but we'll see what happens. At least 280 is pretty stacked, and we'll talk about that too in a minute. But what are your thoughts on uh, Diaz Shemaev? Jake, Jake, Jake. I couldn't agree with you any more than everything you just said perfectly the one thing i will mention though is not only is this you know the worst fight that diaz could have possibly imagined and it is a hundred percent the ufc trying to put a nail in the coffin and i I thought about this on the car right here i thought you know is diaz the type of guy who maybe just you know takes a knee and quits and i'm like no he would he's he's not a quitter he's gonna go in there he's gonna fight but for Hamzat, what does this fight do for him? You mentioned he is one of the biggest prospects in the UFC right now. What? I mean, yes, Dana White is trying to assassinate Diaz. But what does this do for Chemaev? Yeah, it's it doesn't make much sense. It He's just kind of, like sense. I said, it's like a movie. He's hired by Dana White to take Diaz out. 
And right now you're looking at it. Shamayev is ranked third in the welterweight division. Usman's locked up with Edwards right now. Colby Covington is sitting there at number one. I don't know if like a win against Nate Diaz elevates Shamayev enough to go take on Usman if he gets past Edwards. I, it's a very complicated situation. Maybe if Shamayev wins, you put him against Covington. But even right now, I'm confident to say Shamayev deserves that title opportunity. And even if he beats Nate Diaz, which I think is the consensus around all sure. UFC fans right now, yep. I think Shamayev deserves that title shot regardless. But it's definitely not like he's fighting one of those top five guys that will definitively give him that title shot next. Yeah, and it's it's so... It's just kind of a stinky situation for both. However, on a positive note, it's going to be entertaining to watch. Is it, though? I think it's... I think there's going to be a lot of fanfare up to the fight. Like, Mm -hmm. Nate Diaz always sells this fight. Hamzat Shemaev is playing it very well, being that assassin, trying to take Diaz out. But I just... I don't even know. I mean, like I said, we're not really predicting fights right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if this fight doesn't really make it past the first round. Oh, I wouldn't either. I just think it'll And if it's a headline pay-per-view, too. It's it's a bad headliner. And right now they're stacking 280, and there's nothing really else on that Hamzat and Nate Diaz card. So we'll see what that card ends up looking like. But right now it's just a a card that I'm looking past and looking forward to other other fights and other cards. So we're talking about other cards. We'll just move past this. We'll get back to it in lighter podcast. But you mentioned 280. And let's get in to the main event of that fight. Islam versus Charles. That fight was announced. It's going to go down. And this is kind of the fight that, in my opinion, everybody's been asking for. This is who I want to see Charles beat. Charles can prove himself to me if he could beat Islam, and this is the fight they made. Jake, what do you think about it? I am so stoked for this vacant lightweight title fight. I have mentioned on previous podcasts that I am a huge fan of Charles Oliveira. I know you don't have the same sentiment as me, Alex, but I have mentioned that I believe there are only two men out there that can beat Charles Oliveira. One, Alexander Volkanovsky, and two, Islam Mikashev. I don't know how this fight's going to go down. We're not going to break it down, but I am super excited for this fight. I'm excited for what this means for the lightweight division. I'm excited how Alexander Volkanovsky might have a play in this as well. And honestly, it's just a great style of a fight. Both mm-hmm. men match up really well well with one another. Islam, he's going to bring that wrestling, but he's also a great striker. He can go for submissions. Charles Oliveira is the most decorated submission artist in the UFC. He gets rocked. He comes right back. He's done that in his past couple fights. Fireworks for UFC 280. Yeah, this is an awesome, awesome main event. And yes, I'm not the biggest Charles Oliveira fan. However, I like watching him fight. And I like watching Islam fight. And I think this fight is going to be awesome. I don't necessarily lean any way right now. I'm not, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it anyway, but it just goes to show how of an intense, close fight that I think it's going to be. And, you know, a lot of UFC, Twitter, Instagram, they lean a hard way yeah. on a certain opinion, but it really just goes to show any, any guy's going to win. I'm, I'm right fight. there with you, man. I, like I said, only two men can beat Oliveira. Now he's facing one of those two men, in my opinion. 
I'm pretty much torn on this fight right now. Of course, when we get closer to UFC 280, I'm going to have to make a prediction. Right now, I'm still up in the air, but Mikashev is the betting favorite right now. Were you a little surprised by that? I am, and I yeah. think it's very disrespectful. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, Do we agree on this? Like <laughs> Mikashev, I think Mikashev is the future of the lightweight division, but, I mean, Charles Oliveira, I mean, he's going on one of the biggest runs in UFC history right now. If Charles Oliveira beats Mikashev and then goes on, potentially beats Alexander Volkanovsky, we're looking at one of the most decorated runs in UFC mm-hmm. history. Yeah, and that's the fight I want to see. If Charles can win, get his belt back, uh, I want to see him versus Alexander, and I think that will be Dude. an insane fight. I am so ready for Alexander Volkanovsky to have two belts around his waist. I'm yeah. so ready for it. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, UFC 280, it's going to be insane. Yeah. I, one more thing before we move on yes. and talk about some other fights on UFC 280, because I tweeted about this after the Ortega and Yair Rodriguez fight, mm. because there's a lot going on in that division of whether or not Volkanovski is going to have to defend his belt again or be able to go up to lightweight and go after two belts. And if you're Volkanovski, that fight could not have gone better, in my opinion. Of course, we know that Ortega's shoulder popped out and Yair Rodriguez won technically by TKO. And honestly, if you're the champion, that's the perfect situation because Ortega didn't prove himself enough to get right back into title contention. And if you're Yair Rodriguez, sure, you have the credentials, but that wasn't a statement win. I'm not taking anything away from Yair Rodriguez. It wasn't his fault. If anything, there's evidence out there to prove that he forced his shoulder to pop out in that fight. So all the credit to Yair on that, but it wasn't a statement win that you can go out there and say, hey, I want the champ. Not only do I want the champ, but I deserve the champ. Mm -hmm. So if you're Alexander Volkanovsky, the time is now. And I hope the UFC match... Um, matchmakers realize that, that the time is now for Volkanovsky to go up and fight the winner of Oliver Makachev. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's, it, and he, you know, it's not like this is like, before this was just an idea that we had. Oh, maybe Alexander will be the double champ, maybe. He's, he's made it known now that this is what he wants, and it makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but back into 281, more fight we'll talk about, and then we'll get into 277. I, I, I couldn't believe this when I opened up my phone. I thought it was a, a meme. I thought it was fake. Sean O'Malley taking on Piotr Jan. And if you know this is the first time you're hearing it, this is a real, real thing. I'm doubting it's probably the first time you've heard it. Oh, it's man. been everywhere. This fight's going on at 280. Jake, I want to know what you think about it. Piotr Jan, the number one ranked bantamweight in the world, taking on (laughs) Sean O'Malley, the 13th ranked bantamweight in the world. I know that O'Malley's kind of full of himself sometimes, just calls out fighters left and right. He's been doing it for so long about Piotr Jan. But I have personally enjoyed Sean O'Malley's run in the UFC picking his own fights, fighting people that are below him while also increasing his stock as a prospect in the UFC. And now, in my opinion, he's going up against the best bantamweight in the world. I know Aljamain Sterling has the bell right now, and I think we argued about that. You know, I think Sterling did win that fight against Piotr Jan. I know you disagree, but 
I still think Piotr Jan is the best MMA fighter in that division. Sure. And Sean O'Malley just I, – I just mentioned how matchmaking should realize that the time is now for Volkanovski. Matchmaking completely blew up right here because the time is not right now for Sean O'Malley, and apparently everybody in the UFC brass thinks it is. And it's going to be interesting. Like, I'm excited for this fight. But at the same time, do I think it's going to be competitive? I, I don't know. I'm leaning kind of no right now because Piotr Jan is so dominant. He has been dominant. Sure, he lost his last fight, but he's one of the best boxers in the UFC. He's good everywhere. Sean O'Malley, he's really just kind of a counter-striker. We'll see what happens. But, man, I'm, I was kind of disappointed by the news. I was a little excited, but more disappointed because I want Sean O'Malley to rise slowly and develop his skills over time, and now he's just going right into the deep end here. Yeah, if you know me, you know that my favorite weight class in the UFC is Bantamweight, and my arguably two favorite fighters are Piotr Jan and Sean O'Malley in that weight class. So this breaks my heart. I agree with a lot of what you said on is this the match for Sean O'Malley. He's been picking, he's been choosing a slow rise. They're not killing stars with him. I don't know why the UFC makes this fight. But a you know, a little theory, I guess, is that they've been giving Sean O'Malley everything he wants. He's been talking a lot, and they said, All right, Sean, you really didn't prove anything in your last fight, but you still say all this. Here's Piotr Jan. And honestly, if you look at Sean O'Malley's career right now, as a regular UFC fighter, that's not Sean O'Malley picking and choosing, picking and choosing. It's time for him to really fight somebody in the top five. Is that fighter Piotr Jan? I don't know. I, I don't know. I kind of <laughs> disagree with you, man. Really? The top five of the Bantamweight division, they're all amazing fighters. If I'm Sean O'Malley, you take on a guy like Adrian Yanez, who isn't even in the rankings right now, but they've had that beef before. And that fight would be fireworks, too, because Yanez is a great boxer, great on the feet, just like O'Malley is. I think that would have been the fight to make. And I just like that slow rise for prospects. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it in the Nate Diaz, Hamzat Shemaev fight. What does this do for Piotr Jan? If he beats a 13th ranked fighter in the world, does that put him right into the title picture again? Or is he going to have to pair up against somebody else maybe in the top five next time? just to put his name back on the map in terms of title contention. Right. We'll see what it, what it actually plays out here, but I don't know. I'm not a fan of the matchmaking. I think one of the worst things that a matchmaker can do is book a prospect too high too early, and I don't know if it's too early right now for Sean O'Malley because he's been around for a little bit now, but I think it's just incredibly too high. I mean, it's the number one ranked bantamweight in the world in Piotr Jan. I think you got to take a step back, but you know, Sean O'Malley's going to be Sean O'Malley. Likewise, to your point, if Sean O'Malley wins, what does this do for Sean O'Malley? Does this instantly make him a contender? Honestly, I didn't think about that because I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not making a prediction, but I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I think it would have to. It's I don't know. It's so hard because you got already some great matchups booked in the bantamweight division. We'll see what happens. I know Dominic Cruz has that fight against Marlon Chito Vera. I think the winner of that is next for the title. You also have Jose Aldo still in the picture, Corey Sandhagen there. I think, I don't know, it's tough though because it's the number one ranked guy. If he beats the number one ranked guy, 
he's got to have a say with the title picture. Yeah. Depends on what happens between Dillashaw and Sterling as well. That's yes. also going down at UFC 280, yep. which, if anything, helps Sean O'Malley. Mm-hmm. If Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan early on at 280, and then he calls out the champion, whoever wins that fight in the co-main event it would be, I mean, man, you're in a good spot there if you're Sean O'Malley. Sure. But personally, I would see Marlon Vera or Dominic Cruz getting the title fight next. But we'll see, man. I think my best prediction would be if you were to beat Piotr Jan, one more fight, and then Sean O'Malley would be in that title picture. Yeah, and that's fair. It's just so crazy. It's just like I don't even know what to think about this fight because it just still doesn't seem real to me yet. And like I said, these are two of my uh, – as a fan, I am a fan – of the sport, not just an analysis. I, I hate it. It's just, it really, really bugs me. But, yeah. hey, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of exciting fights. UFC 280, bro. UFC 280. UFC 280. Oliveira, Makachev, Yano, Mali, Sterling, Dillashaw, Dariush, Gamrot, Muhammad, Brady. I mean, that might be better than International Fight Week. And we promoted the heck out of that podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one's going to be even better. If the prelims are just as good, maybe we do even more predictions than just the five. We'll see yeah. what happens. But, man, what a main card that is. I'm stoked for UFC 280. Yeah, I am too. And another card that I wasn't really stoked for, but like most of these cards, I'm not really stoked for them, and then I do my research and I get a little excited, is UFC 277. And we're going to get into our breakdowns for that right now. First fight on the main card, Magomed Ankalaev versus Anthony Smith. Uh, I didn't know a lot about these fighters at first. I had known both names. I hadn't watched any of them until I did some film. But uh, I'm going to throw it over to you first, Jake. What do you think about this fight? Yeah, light heavyweight fight here to start the main card. I'll start with Ankalaev before I get to Smith. Ankalaev, he's 17-1, and one, has won eight straight since his UFC debut loss to Paul Craig in 2018. He's known as a finisher with nine wins by KO, six of which were in the first round. But it's weird that his last three wins were all by unanimous decision. Of course, his last win was a decision win over Tiago Santos. And Ankalaev was able to take Santos down once, and he outstruck him 114-81. to But it was largely an unentertaining fight to me between a gun-shy Santos and a finisher in Ankalaev. He really hasn't finished anyone lately. Ankalaev does have amazing fight IQ, though, and while he is known as a finisher, he never overextends himself in the cage, and he never really chases that finish, which is a great aspect of Ankalaev's game. He puts pressure on his opponents, but is also great at counter-striking and gets a lot of KOs when his opponents are charging, like in the Kutalaba fights. Now over to Anthony Smith. Of course, the legend Anthony Lionheart Smith, 36-16 and 16 with 19 wins by KO and 15 wins by submission, only three wins by decision. He revitalized his career as he's on a three-fight winning streak against Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and Ryan Spann. That last win against Ryan Spann came via first-round submission, and he only had to land 18 strikes, which granted him two knockdowns en route to that rear naked choked victory over Ryan Spann. He also has rear naked choke victories over the likes of Alexander Gustafsson and Volkan Ozdemir in his career, so I expect him to potentially look for submissions against Ankalaev, even though the Lionheart only has 29% grappling accuracy. 
Also, it's important to note that Smith does absorb a lot of strikes per minute at 4.31. Ultimately, I expect Ankalaev to win here, though. He's so good on the feet, which is where I expect this fight to take place. While Smith has a chance with leg kicks and potentially going for a submission, Magomed is versatile enough to wrestle as well. I see this fight being competitive to start, and since Anthony Smith gets hit a lot, I expect Ankalaev to get his first KO since October of 2020 here in the third round against Smith to open UFC 277. Yeah, I agree with your pick. You look at uh, Magomed, uh, he's you know lengthy kickboxer, really good range, but what I like about him is he's not one of these kickboxers that like to throw a lot of punches with a, you know just a few kicks. He likes to kick. He'll throw them right up the middle. He throws them a lot. Uh, with that being said, though, he does have a lot of power in his fists. He's also a pretty solid wrestler. You mentioned his takedown. He averages a takedown a fight. He only has one loss in the UFC as well. And that was his loss was moments before the end of the fight was over, right by submission. You look at Anthony Smith, you mentioned three-fight win streak. Overall good striker who has some pretty solid power in his punches, and he has good kicks as well. Uh, he's also really good at BJJ, um, but he isn't the best wrestler. He averages 28% takedown accuracy, one of my biggest things that I always complain about. How are you good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you're not good at wrestling? How can you be so good at submissions but you can't give your fight to the ground? Anthony Smith. It's, it's very bothersome, but the, his best thing is his toughness. He's very, very tough. I mean, we're talking about a guy who gets his teeth knocked out in a fight, and he hands him to the referee. I mean, that is Anthony Smith. But, like you said, this fight's going to be on the feet. And if it's on the feet, Magomed is a more technical and overall better striker. And if it's a striker versus striker match, it's a pretty easy and safe bet to go with Magomed. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot at stake here in the light heavyweight division, too. Right now, it seems like Yuri Prohaska is going to go up against Glover Teixeira, potentially in a rematch. At least that's what Yuri wants. And then potentially the winner of this fight at UFC 277 gets Jan Blahovich. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I 100% agree. Because both, both of these guys are good, and they're at that spot where they only kind of need a win or two to really be, like, looked at seriously in big fights. Yeah, the winner the winner of this fight gets Blahovich. Winner of that fight gets a champ. Yeah. Very clear picture in the light heavyweight division. Yeah, so we agree. First fight. I don't think we're going to agree much in the next couple, but we'll see. All right, fair enough. Let's throw it over to the next fight. We got Alejandro Pantoja. I think I said that right. I think so. I, it's a very complicated name. I've heard it pronounced so many ways. Different ways. At first, I thought it was Alexandre Pantoja, and now I'm going with Alexandra Pantoja. I believe that's right. John Anik, I love you. I respect you. I'm trusting your pronunciation <laughs> on that one. Well, anyway, we have Alejandro Pantoja. Well, I guess we'll just go with whatever until we hear Bruce Buffer yell it. <laughs> Bruce Buffer isn't the best with the He's pronunciations not the best. either. <laughs> He's not the yeah. best. Versus Alex Perez, a little bit of an easier name yeah. to pronounce. Jake, I'm going to throw it back over to you. Who do you think's winning this fight? What a great fight at flyweight here, man. I didn't really recognize either one of these names until I started doing research. And then I started doing research, and I was blown away by some of their footage. 
for Pantoja. He's 24 and 5 with 8 wins by KO, 9 wins by sub, and 9 first round finishes. If you look at Perez, it's a very similar resume in that aspect. 24 and 6 with 5 wins by KO, 7 wins by sub, and 10 first round finishes. Back to Pantoja, though, his last fight was a submission win over Brandon Royville in August of 2021. He'll likely be better on the ground than Perez, but Perez has only been taken down once in the UFC. Pantoja's two most recent losses were against the best of the best in Davison Figueredo and Askar Askarov, both of which featured wrestling from his opponents. And actually a fun fact about Pantoja, he has exhibition wins over Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France, who we're going to talk about very shortly. Mm-hmm. On to Perez, his last fight was a submission loss to the current champ at flyweight, Davison Figueredo. But that fight was in November of 2020 when he got submitted within two minutes of the opening bell. Perez was only able to land six strikes in that fight, and he's had six canceled fights in the past two years, one of which was due to him missing weight. Perez was 7-1 in the UFC prior to his loss against Figgy, but who knows what he's going to look like after that long layoff. But Perez still has that fighter spirit in him. He does land a lot of strikes per minute at 4.62, and he likes to take the fight to the ground as he nearly averages three takedowns per 15 minutes. He also has 88% takedown defense, like I mentioned, and he can serve up some great combinations on the feet with strong leg kicks. So I really think it depends if Perez is going to be able to take Pantoja down, but that layoff concerns me, so I'm going with Pantoja winning this fight here. Both men have great records filled with wins in a variety of ways, but what concerns me most is Perez's layoff. Like I said, I think Pantoja is the better grappler, but Perez won't let this fight go to the ground with his takedown defense. I could see a lot of clinch scenarios, especially if Perez is able to successfully chop down the leg kicks on Pantoja. I'm just worried about the layoff here. Both fighters are great everywhere, but I'm going with Pantoja by decision to play it safe since I think he can win over the judges' scorecards on the feet. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. However, I disagree with you. Yes. (laughs) Hey, that's an easy win for me, man. I like it. So I'm going with Alejandro. Or no, I'm going with Alex Perez. But if you look at Alejandro Pantoja, he's one of these guys – with really damaging strikes, who isn't afraid to walk all up in your grill in the fight. And he doesn't throw a lot of crazy strikes. He kind of likes to stay with his ones and twos. But when he's walking you down, it's very effective. Not only that, you kind of mentioned he's a good grappler, has solid ground and pound. You look at Alex Perez, he's another one of these good strikers with incredible low kicks. You also mentioned the average averages three takedowns a fight, 88% takedown defense. He has these beautiful combos that he comes in and throws, and then he finishes with these leg like dead like leg kicks, and then he circles out. And what I mean by deadly is that he can end the fight with one of those kicks. You mentioned the two years away from the UFC. And that's my biggest concern. It's a very big concern, but you look at this fight, and it has the chance to be fight of the night. You got two good strikers with a lot of knockouts on the record, and neither of them are afraid to throw punches. I think Pantoja is definitely the better grappler, but that means he will have to take it to the ground. Alex Perez has only been taken down once in the UFC, and that was four years ago. Does the layoff worry me? Yes, a lot. However, I genuinely believe he does have what it takes to get the job done, I hope he doesn't prove me a fool. Um, So, yeah, we'll see. 
I'm happy you're going with Perez, man. I'm just happy there's more disagreements. I'm expecting some more with the rest of this card because i got to make up some ground. I think you're at 23-5, and five and I'm at 20-8. and eight. I'm never going to forgive Sean Strickland and that <laughs> ugly performance against Alex Bejeda. Man, that just ruined it. You went 7-0 and on that one. I went 6-1 and because we did eight fight predictions. Obviously, that Sean O'Malley fight ended with that eye poke. And, yeah, um, that's Sean Strickland fight. Just could not go my way. No. And, you know, hopefully another fight won't go your way. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We will see. Let's get into this next fight. Derek Lewis versus Sergey Pavlovich. Jake, throw it over to you. The Black Beast is back, and anything goes in the heavyweight division for Lewis. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. He's 26-9 and with one no contest with 20 win, 21 wins by KO. He's a brawler who has the most KOs in UFC history at 13, but has also lost six times via KO as well. His last fight was obviously that knockout loss to tie to Ivasa at UFC 271. And Lewis looked good at first against Ivasa until mm-hmm. Ty landed that one shot, which is all that matters sometimes in heavyweight fights. Lewis can never seem to win the big fight in his career. And this is something I've always noticed in Lewis's game. He'll rack up wins and go on a run by beating guys like Alexei Olenek, Curtis Blades even, or Chris Dawkins, just to lose to guys like Cyril Gunn and Tai Tuivasa. I'm worried about his chin after his last KO loss, and I know one thing that stuck with Lewis his entire career is just having enough output, and that's usually his biggest issue. He just he has that knockout power. It's just sometimes he doesn't have faith in his punches and doesn't throw as much. He's more of a slow, methodological, methodological fighter out there. And Pavlovich, he's a great UFC heavyweight prospect right now. He's 15-1 and with 12 wins by KO, all of which came in the first round. Pavlovich has won his last three fights by first-round KO since his UFC debut loss to Alistair Overeem. His last fight, he KO'd his opponent in the first round back in March. This came after nearly three years off, and Pavlovich returned in emphatic fashion by making it seem like he never left in the UFC. He has a 5-inch reach advantage over Lewis, has an average fight time of 2.55, which is ridiculous, and he lands 6.08 strikes per minute compared to Lewis's 2.56, but he also absorbs a large number of strikes per minute at 4.45, which means he has a lot of trust and confidence in that chin. Plus, he has a great speed. He has incredible speed for a heavyweight, which should come as a huge advantage here against Lewis, who is known for being a bit slower. Ultimately, though, I got to go with Pavlovich here. Sure, Lewis could KO Sergey in the first five seconds of this fight, and honestly, I would not be surprised if I were betting I would stay away from this fight. But for the sense of making a pick, I'm going with Pavlovich. He's also a knockout artist. He also possesses that one-punch KO power. And I trust his speed and chin to get it done against a guy whose biggest issue is trusting his shots enough in Lewis. Do I? Yeah, 100%. Do I even need to break down Derek Lewis? It's like... We know what Derek Lewis He's is. He's been the same Derek Lewis for years, and it'll be the same Derek Lewis for years to come. Yeah, so I'm not even going to do my breakdown of Derek Lewis. Sergey, though, I do want to say he's a great boxer that has a lot of power. And you look at other weight classes uh, that aren't heavyweight in the UFC, and you look at the boxers, most of the time they don't have crazy knockout power. They're just coming in and landing crazy strikes. And they have what Derek Lewis doesn't, volume. He has no 
volume. I talk about volume a lot. Derek Lewis has none. He he does Derek Lewis need to throw a hundred punches to get a knockout? No. I'm not saying that. He's always live. However, if you're not throwing any strikes and you're taking in a bunch of strikes, it's not gonna help you. And I don't think it's gonna help you versus a guy like Sergey either. It's it's you know it's very fun with these heavyweight fights whether it's like an exciting big name or not because you know somebody's gonna get knocked out. Who is that somebody gonna be? I think it's gonna be Derek Lewis. I heard somebody say that Derek Lewis has been all hammer and no nail, and I really couldn't agree more. Even his last couple fights where you know his opponents brought the fight to him, he got rocked. Yes, he's always alive for a knockout. It's a tough pick. If you could bet, just bet on the fight ending by a knockout because somebody will probably be knocked out. But I am also going to go with Sergey Pavlovich. Derek Lewis has been the same fighter for the past 10 years. People are starting to figure him out. Is his chin getting weaker? I, I, I genuinely think that he was doing pretty good against Ty, and he just wasn't expecting Ty to take those big punches. You know, we kind of questioned Tai Tuivasa's chin before that fight because we weren't really sure. Well, Tai Tuivasa's got a really, really good chin because he was taking blow after blow after blow by Lewis. Chin strength is very hard to evaluate in the heavyweight division too. Yeah. You know, it's it's just that one-shot power that all it takes. You know, Lewis showed a great chin against Tai, and then, boom, rocked, and the fight's over before he knows it, and Tai's doing a shoey. You know, it it just depends what happens. I think – I'm just worried about his chin here because he is coming off that KO loss. Yeah. And I really wanted to go Sergey here because I thought you were going to go with Lewis. And I'm not going to change my pick. I'm going to go with Sergey. I want Sergey not to be afraid of that power because then he's going to become gun shy as well, which I don't think is going to happen. I think Sergey's going to go out there, bring the fight to Lewis like so many people have in the past. And I think he gets it done by a KO, like you said. Yeah, I agree. But it can really go anywhere. Anyway, so betting, be careful, I guess. But, hey, we're both going with Sergey, so if that helps you any. Next fight, co-main for the interim belt. Which, by the way, I didn't even write this in my notes. But well, I, don't, I don't like this fight. I, I, do like really? this, I do like this fight. But Davidson is not going to be out long. And I don't think there's necessarily a reason to make this fight for the interim belt. And I think it's kind of silly, but that's kind of my only, like, my I, I like the fight, but I don't like that it's for the belt. That's kind of my only thing about it. What do you think, Jim? I'm kind of the opposite here because if you look at the flyweight division, I think there's a chance that Davison never fights in the flyweight division again. Oh. And I'm not saying, I'm not taking any slack off of Davison. He's a great fighter, obviously, but we know that he struggles cutting down to flyweight. Right now, he's saying that he's not going to fight unless he gets more money. So there's contract issues with him in the UFC right now. It's just a very ugly situation with Davison Figueredo right now. And I'm totally fine with doing a interim belt between two guys that I completely think deserve it, like Moreno and France. Those are the two guys that deserve it in this division right now. I agree. So I love the fight. I love that they put the interim belt on there just in case Davison doesn't return to the flyweight division. And even if he does, it makes that number one, um, the number one guy, the number one contender, very clear and very apparent that, hey, it's either going to be Moreno or it's going to be Kai Car France. And honestly, I would have been fine if they went Figgy Moreno for a fourth time right after their third fight. 
But then again, you're kind of holding up the flyweight division, which is why I like this fight even more because it gives a guy like Kai Car France a chance in busting through, getting an interim belt to get to the real belt against Davison. My biggest issue, I guess, is that I don't like the idea that a champ can just put up their belt and if they want to come back, that they can come back and they're instantly the contender for the belt. I think that you, he better move weight classes because I don't want to see him fight Kai Karafans or Brandon Moreno right after. I would have liked to see him fight Brandon Moreno for a fourth time. It would have held up the weight class 100%. I agree with you. But I just, I don't, I don't think it's fair to other fighters that a champ could just put up their belt for another guy to win it, like Brandon Moreno, and then just gets to go right back in and jump in when there are other guys that are fighting hard trying to get up there right now. Well, I mean, it's like a, I don't know, I mean, it's, he's still the undisputed champion. It's not like he's putting up his belt. It's just they're adding another one more as an interim belt to say, hey, undisputed interim belt, that's the next fight. Sure. So I still think it's silly, though. I don't hate it. I've I've always kind of been a fan of the interim belt, but sometimes I think it's a little overdone. Right now, like Moreno, Kaikara France, I love that fight and I love that they attach the belt to it. And I know there's, you know, the pay-per-view points discussion too. It gives these guys pay-per-view points for fighting for an interim belt. So I'm always a big fan of fighters getting more money. Mm-hmm. But like there's even been talk of featherweight for an interim belt. Like Alexander Volkanovsky, sure he's gonna be out for a little bit with that hand injury. But at the same time, if he goes up a division and goes for history, I don't care about that division. They can completely wait for the champion to be done on his mission. I don't want to see like a Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett featherweight uh, interim belt at all. Like I think that's overdoing it. But right here in flyweight, I don't mind it at all. I guess. One more thing and then we'll move on. It's just like with that, Alexander Volkanovsky has proven so much that I do think that he would be able to leave and that people should wait. What has Davison Figueredo done? He's fought the same guy for the past two years. Why, there's other guys that are actually in this weight class that aren't Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. So, I, I don't hate the fight. I actually love the fight. I'm very excited for this fight. It's just the belt thing kind of rubs me the wrong way, I guess. But, uh, Jake, I'll throw it over to you for your breakdown. Who's winning this fight? This fight is the worst case scenario for me because we've teased this off the air about doing a potential like top five fighter list. Not necessarily like pound for pound because we've already done that, but just our top five favorite fighters. I know my top guy would be Stipe Miocic because we're from Cleveland, Ohio, from Akron. He's a hometown guy. But my top five list would probably include the likes of Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France. Yeah. So this fight... It sucks for me because I'm a huge fan of both guys. But let me get into my breakdown of the Assassin Baby taking on Don't Blink Cara France here. For Moreno, 19-6 with two ties and 11 wins by submission. Of course, his last fight, he lost the belt to the current flyweight champ, Davison Figueredo, at UFC 270. Moreno had power in his shots in that fight, but was getting hit more often from the current champion. And Moreno really wasn't putting out enough strikes, in my opinion, in that fight. He has an average fight time of 14.55, so he does go to decision quite often. 
And Moreno also has a 69% takedown defense as he averages 1.84 takedowns per 15 minutes of octagon time. Plus, Car France was taken down twice and had to persevere through two submission attempts in his last three-round fight. So I do expect this fight to stay on the feet, but if Moreno wants to mix it up, he could certainly try to take this to the ground against Kai Car France here. Moreno did, of course, beat Car France in 2019 at UFC 245 in a close but unanimous decision. But Kai has changed up his game, evolved, and has had or has found power in his fists. For Car France, he's 24 and 9, one no contest with 11 wins by KO and 12 first round finishes. His last fight was that great unanimous decision win over Askar Askarov in March. He handed Askarov his first career loss and looked great in that fight. Kaikar France also lands 4.84 strikes per minute, and he has an 87% takedown defense, which is really key here in this fight if Moreno wants to take him to the ground. The pick, though, I'm ultimately taking the underdog again here in Kaikar France. Call me crazy, but for me, it depends on what Brandon Moreno shows up. Moreno's performance to claim gold was as good as any in recent flyweight memory, but he didn't look the same when he lost the belts. Since their first meeting, Kaikar France has evolved his game, gotten better everywhere, became a lethal boxer on the feet with explosive power for a flyweight, and he can defend takedowns as well. Both men have gotten much better, but I think Kaikar France has progressed more than Moreno since their first fight. And you mentioned it, that Moreno has fought the same guy for two years in Davison Figueredo. Neither man will quit in this fight. I'm slightly concerned about this being five rounds for Kai, but City Kickboxing will have him well prepared, and in my opinion, prepared enough to claim the interim belt and bring home more gold to the gym. Jake. We pick, disagree. Yes, I wanted you to pick Moreno so bad. We disagree, and everything I'm going to say is going to sound like I'm picking Kai Car France. And I really disagree with a lot of the stuff you said. You look at Brandon Moreno, he's great. Very, 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 very tough. Very, very fast-paced fighting style. His chin, which I'm not sure if you mentioned, is very good. Uh, he averages almost two takedowns a fight, and a lot of people do forget his wrestling game. He, Like you mentioned, he is a wrestler. He can take it to the ground if he wants to. And then you mentioned Kai Car France. Very good boxer with great volume. He's, he's so technically sound. He works good inside and outside the pocket, and his right hand is lethal. It is lethal. You mentioned the 87% takedown defense. His last fight... He defended 12 takedowns, and he went to town striking. The last time these two guys met each other in the octagon, Moreno only landed nine more strikes than Kai Car France did. That's how close that fight was. But instead of talking about the last fight like you kind of did, how has each fighter improved since their last fight? Yes, Moreno became the champ. So that's a big thing. I'm not dissing that in any way. But Kaikar France, three-fight win streak, two-fight-of-the-night bonuses, and it, it just looks like Kai has became the better fighter. I know I'm all over the place, but I'm still going with Moreno. I, I just I think it's going to really come down to scoring. 
I see I see 48, 47, 49, 46. I definitely think Hikar France is going to get a couple rounds, but in a five-round fight, when you're fighting a dog like Brandon Moreno, who had a pretty bad performance for him in his last fight, I just don't see you beating a guy like that. Where I've never really been able to see any other fighter in, in UFC history where I can just see them wear their heart on their sleeve like Brandon Moreno does. You can tell how passionate he is and how much of a will to fight he does have. And if you know me, I like picking my fights based on, here's the stats, here's what this guy's done, which is all Kai Car France, and I'm still picking Brandon Moreno off of, he's a dog! But that is my pick. <laughs> I'm going yeah. Brandon Moreno, so we're going to disagree again. Hey, Kai Car France has the dog in him too, man. Don't blink in this fight. It's going to be... It's just going to be a great fight. It's I wouldn't be, be surprised. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Moreno wins, but no. in the spirit of making up ground in our predictions, and I actually think that Kai has progressed more than Brandon Moreno. You mentioned the strike, um, the striking difference in that first fight between them and the evolution of both fighters since then. I got to go with Kai Carr France here. Yeah, I mean, Kai Carr looks good. He, he, and Kai Carr is the future of this weight class right now. Uh, for sure. I think he's definitely the biggest like name in it, and I think that people should want to beat him. I just don't think Brandon Moreno's time is done just yet. Maybe I, maybe it's that I hope his time's not done yet, and that's swaying my answer. See, that's the hardest part because I don't want either one of these men's time to run out. Right. Like, I want the Lego champion to be the Lego champion again, and then I want Kai Don't Blame Car France to be the guy in that division too. Ultimately, it's run by Davison Figueredo, but we mentioned how that whole situation is up in the air right now. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens at flyweight, but this is a really, really exciting fight at UFC 277. So, Jake, do you think it's going to end by a knockout, or do you think it goes to decision? I, I mean, I hate to say it, but like I view there's it's this fight goes one of three ways, and I guess I'll predict one of the three, but I'm just going to lay it out right now. Either Brandon Moreno wins by submission because he has 11 wins by submission out of his 19 wins. Of course, he submitted Figueredo to win the belt and bring that championship to Taiwan. And I think Moreno could wrap up, wrap up a submission against Kaikar France. You mentioned the right hand of Kaikar France, though. I could also potentially see Kai knocking out Brandon Moreno, even though... I don't really see that happening because you mentioned how Brandon Moreno's chin is all that and more. He never got knocked out by those power strikes of Davis and Figueredo. I don't know how that power is going to stack up against Kai Car France. And then third, Kai Car France by decision. And ultimately, that's the way I'm going. I think City Kickboxing is going to have him prepared for a five-round fight and a five-round fight at a very high pace. These are flyweights. They're going to go crazy for all five rounds. That's what I'm expecting. Maybe we see a submission attempt. Maybe we see a knockdown for Kai Car France. But ultimately, I'm going Kai Car France by decision. So that's what I figured. And I'm going Brandon Moreno by decision. Oh, interesting. And I, I definitely, the reason I, I brought this up is because I can definitely see some controversy happening if this fight goes to decision. Only because Brandon Moreno is such a high pace fighter and it it almost looks like even if he's losing it always looks like he's in control 
and judges are always kind of looking at that. And this isn't this isn't for Kaikara France's side, where it could very much look like Brandon Moreno beat Kaikara France a couple rounds, that Kaikara France should have won the round. And I don't like when it has to come down to scoring. I don't like when Dana White has to say, I disagreed with the judges. So I hope that doesn't happen. But I can very easily see, because of the style of fighters we have, and I, the, I don't think a lot of takedowns are going to happen, this fight being a very close decision and people being very upset the next yeah. day. And that's happened in the flyweight division before. I yeah. mean, if you look at the last fight between Figueredo and Moreno, Moreno yeah. literally thought he won that fight. I don't know if he still believes he won that fight to this day. Mm-hmm. Probably watching that fight back a couple times if you're Brandon Moreno and his team. And then Kaikar France in his last fight against Askar Askarov, people thought that Askarov had enough ground control time in that fight to win. So it happens sometimes in the flyweight division. Ultimately, I agreed with both of those decisions, but... I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. Yeah, I just think it's in a five-round fight in, in, in the flyweight, and if you want to make sure you won, you have to win four or five rounds. But when it comes down to two to three rounds, it's always, it's always going to be an argument, and it, it stinks. However, it's going to be an exciting fight to watch nonetheless, and hopefully, you know, championship involved, there is a proven winner it looks like this person won, and everybody can agree if it does go to decision. So now, going to the main event of the evening, we have the rematch, another rematch, with Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. Very exciting women's fight. I'm very, very excited for this fight. Jake, I'm going to throw it over to you. What do you think? Yeah, the women's bantamweight title bouts between the Venezuelan Vixen and the Lioness Amanda Nunes. I'm really excited for this one. I've been watching the Ultimate Fighter all season long. Hasn't been the great season, if I'm being honest, but I always got to stick along and watch those upcoming prospects. But nonetheless, talking about Pena here, she's 12-4 and with six wins by submission. Of course, her last fight was a submission win over Amanda Nunes at UFC 269 to claim gold. And the submission took place after Pena was able to rock Nunez on the feet, crumble her, exhaust her, and take her neck in the second round, and it will go on to be the biggest upset in women's MMA history. Nunez did look, she did look good in that first round after taking Pena down, but she was simply not the lioness and not the same Nunez that we are all used to seeing in the octagon in that second round. Pena has looked fantastic in her last two fights, both of which she won by submission, and she earned the title shot against Nunez, took the fight to Amanda, and said what she was going to do, which was take that belt off of the Lioness. Talking about Amanda Nunez, of course, she is the GOAT of women's MMA, 21-5 with 13 wins by KO and 7 title defenses under her belt. She has won or she was on a 12-fight winning streak before losing to Juliana. And like I said, still one of the, she's still the women's featherweight champion, but rightfully recognized as the GOAT of women's MMA. She has an average fight time of 9.08, which is short for female fighters, and 62% of her wins have come via KO in her career. She also lands 4.55 strikes per minute, while only absorbing 2.81, the technique is simply there for Amanda Nunes. 
Both women shoot for the takedown about two and a half times per 15 minutes in the cage. But what sticks out to me is that Amanda has an 82% takedown defense compared to, to Juliana's 22%. Mm. Overall, I'm taking the favorite here in Amanda Nunes. I think she's going to be more calculated and dialed in for the second fight against Juliana Pena. In the first round, Nunez looked great, but was also eager to finish the fight because she's used to getting girls out of there so fast. She recognized defeat in her last fight. She learned from it. She yeah. put up with Pena in the spotlight that is the ultimate fighter, and she's going to return better than ever. The Lioness went back to her den, and she was hibernating when she lost to Pena, and now she's ready to embark on a slow, steady methodological pounce. Pena's a great fighter, and she can bring this fight to Nunez, but I think we'll see the GOAT version of Amanda Nunez at UFC 277. All the respect to Pena, but Nunez is the pick here. Yeah. Nunez is the GOAT. You said it multiple times. She is the GOAT when it comes to female fighters. She dominated two weight classes. She dominated everybody. Juliana Pena, though, this is a very hard pick for me. Juliana Pena is such a well-rounded, good everywhere, comes in your face, fighter isn't afraid to scrap, and it seems like her cardio is miles ahead of Amanda, which really helped her in that fight. And everybody that Amanda's fought, I'm not saying this that I... Everybody that Amanda's fought almost seems scared of Amanda Nunes. Obviously, when they jump in the octagon, you know, they're ready to fight. Juliana Pena was not afraid of Amanda yeah, Nunes at point. all. In, in that first round, Amanda Nunes, like you mentioned, Jake, was beating her pretty bad. Juliana Pena came out and did not care. It, and that's – it's so hard because I wrote in my notes, when, when the greats in the UFC lose, like Amanda Nunes did, they're usually never the same again. They, they lose that big fight, and they always struggle to get back to the same way they were. However, and you got into this. I think Amanda Nunes, unlike these other greats, needed this loss. She needed to lose. She needed to be humbled. And what a better way to be humbled. She got embarrassed. She really got beat up pretty bad. And all, all the amounts of people that lost money that night. Right. I mean, it just goes to show. You said it was the biggest upset in you know women's UFC. Arguably the biggest upset in UFC history. She needed that. And I think that now she's back to where she is. And we're going to see what should have happened in the first fight tenfold. She's going, I, 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 see, I see complete domination. As long as Amanda Nunes has good cardio now, I, I see her dominating Juliana Pena. It's very hard because I genuinely, genuinely do think Juliana Pena is a good fighter. And everybody that I see make a point for Juliana Pena winning, I usually agree with them on the points that they're making. I just, like you said, Jake, she's the GOAT. She trained very, very hard. I think she's ready to come in and continue to dominate again. Yeah. She also had some turmoil in her camp in that first fight with Juliana Pena. Yeah. And she I struggled give, to make weight as well. Yeah, right. And I want to give Juliana Pena so much credit too yeah. for bringing that fight to Nunez. And like you said, I'm not surprised by people taking Juliana Pena in this fight either. It's no. we talked about Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France having that dog in them. I think Juliana Pena has that dog in her mm -hmm. tenfold. Like yeah. she 
out there. She is just a brawler to every sense of the word. She pushes the pace even when she's getting hit. She will charge Nunez, bring the fight to her, which is what she did in that second round. And I think she just annoyed Amanda Nunez. And it threw her off, and we saw the result in the first fight. And I honestly could see that happening on Saturday night at UFC 277. But like I said, I just think Nunez learned. She almost needed that loss, like you said. And she's just going to be more calculated out there. And I have her winning maybe late round KO or by decision. And I see the Lioness claiming back her second belt. Yeah, I agree. Let's say Amanda Nunez wins. What does this do for women's UFC, Jake? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, but w- man. W- what do you think? I think she's got to go with Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. I think that's the fight to make, even though, I mean, I thought Valentina Shevchenko was the woman in MMA. Like, I thought Valentina Shevchenko could beat Amanda Nunez before her last fight against Tyler Santos. And if I'm being honest, Tyler Santos might have won that fight against Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. And if it wasn't for that clash of heads in the fourth round, I believe— Valentina Shevchenko might not even be the champion right now. Mm-hmm. So very interesting things there. Maybe you can use the same argument for uh, Pena Nunez, one, saying that, hey, maybe Shevchenko just needed to be tested a little bit more, and we'll see what happens. I know Valentina Shevchenko was on the MMA Hour recently, and she was talking about how she might not even be interested in a fight with Amanda Nunez next. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. To me, that would be the fight to make. But you can even go the other way with it. Like, what if Juliana Pena wins? Yeah. That would be nuts. And then you got to match her up with somebody in the women's bantamweight division. You have Caitlin Vieira up there. She's coming off a nice win, too. Maybe that would be the fight to make. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's pretty fun. Uh, you know, a lot of these women fighters don't get the credit that they deserve in the UFC. But the just all women UFC is very, very entertaining right now. You look at Carla um, Esparza who nobody really thought she was going to win, except me. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, you can't really talk about that fight, though. That fight was abysmal. It was very, very boring. Very, very boring fight. And it's so hard to score a fight like yeah, that, Yeah, that too. one's not a fight to brag about. I mean, I can brag about my pick, Charles Oliveira, over Justin Gaethje all day because you were super confident in Gaethje, but I don't know. I wouldn't be bragging about Carlos Sparza, man. I'm just saying, you know. I pick Carla. And I I genuinely think Carla uh, should have won that fight too. But yes, it was. I mean, boring. yeah, there just wasn't much to go off. Wasn't of. much. Wasn't much. But it's just a very exciting time for women's UFC right now. And I think that these women deserved a main event fight on a main card for the belt. This is going to be very exciting. I'm very very excited for UFC 277. Jake, I'm going to send it back over to you one more time. Break down all your picks. Yes, sir. So to start the main card, I got Magomed Ankalaev, the big favorite, over Anthony Smith. Sure, Anthony Smith can bring the fight to Ankalaev, but you mentioned it. If this fight is on the feet, which we both think it will be, I just think Magomed is the better fighter. He's known as a finisher, has gotten decision wins in his last three fights, but Ankalaev is a great fighter nonetheless. He's a great counter-striker, and when men are charging him the octagon, he puts people to sleep. And I think that could happen in this fight in the later rounds. So I have Magomed Ankalaev by KO. And then I have Alexandra Pantoja taking out Alex Perez via decision. I could see this fight going either way. But really, it comes down to Alex Perez and that long layoff. I mentioned how he's had six canceled fights in the two years he's been away. 
one of which was due to that weight miss. That's huge to me. And Alex Perez does have those dangerous leg kicks, but Alejandra, Pantoja, I think he's just better everywhere, just slightly. I wouldn't be surprised if this is another fight that's left to the judges. Maybe they get it wrong. Maybe they get it right. It is also in the flyweight division that we had discussed. We'll see what happens, but I'm going with Alejandra Pantoja. Then the third fight, heavyweights, honestly, I could see it going either way here. Mm-hmm. Derek Lewis, he's always been gun-shy. I'm worried about his chin after losing to Tai Tuivasa. And Sergey Pavlovich, he is a great prospect in the UFC heavyweight division. He has that knockout power, too. He is a great boxer, a great kickboxer, and he has a speed advantage over Derek Lewis. So I'm going to go Sergey Pavlovich by KO, but I could see either men KOing their opponent in that fight. Co-main event of the ev- of the evening, flyweight interim title bouts between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. Again, another fight I could see either- going either way. I love both of these fighters. It's going to pay me to watch this on Saturday night, but I'm going to go with Kai, don't blink, Kara France. Since their first meeting, that was super close. We mentioned it. I just think Moreno has been stuck fighting the same guy, while as Kai Kara France has gotten a great three-fight win streak with fight of the night bonuses. And I just think he's progressed more, and he's going to beat Moreno in the co-main event. Going on to the main event, what we just broke down, I have Amanda, the Lioness Nunez, taking down Juliana, the Venezuelan Vixen Pena, in their second fight. I just think Amanda Nunez learned from that first loss. She's going to come back stronger and better than ever and more eager than ever to take that belt off of Pena and become Nunez two belts once again. Good picks by Jake Murren, but not as good as Alex Henry's. So, <laughs> Hey, bro, we'll see. I'm very excited because I actually love my picks. I trust my picks. We have two differences. We do have some differences. And Big if, differences. Yo, if I go 5-0, and oh, I'm only one fight behind you, man. Watch that's, out. That's true. I'm going to take Magomed uh, Akalaev in the first fight versus Anthony Smith. I think this is, out of all the fights, Jake, we can pretty easily agree that this is – you know, going to be a pretty, not a cakewalk for Magomed, but it's going to be a pretty obvious win for him. The next fight, I got Alejandro Pantoja versus Alex Perez. I'm very worried. Two-year layoff, cage rust is a real thing, but I think that Alex Perez can beat Pantoja, and I think he will beat him this Saturday. Then you look at Derek Lewis versus Sergey Pavlovich. I'm going Sergey Pavlovich. I'm pretty confident with Sergey Pavlovich. But it could go either way. Then you look at the co-main, Brandon Moreno, Kai Car France. Even though I lean very heavy towards Kai Car France, I am going to pick Brandon Moreno to win this Saturday. And finally, the main event, Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena to the rematch for the belt. I'm going Amanda Nunes, but this is also another hard fight to pick. I don't know how I think Amanda Nunez wins. I, I really want her to get a finish because uh, I don't s- I see the more the fight goes, the bigger the chance of her losing. So, you know, an early, early first, maybe first, second, third round knockout or submission. And the longer it goes, the more chance of a rematch taking place yeah, too. Yeah, true. Something I didn't even think about. Yeah, especially if Shevchenko doesn't want Nunez if it's a competitive fight, maybe they run it back. Maybe they, yeah, maybe we get a trilogy. That'd yeah. be fun. I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, that'd be fun. So a lot of disagreements here on UFC 277. It's going to be an exciting 
card. And I thank you for joining us on this episode of Sports Power Talk Overtime. Let's hope for a wild night in Dallas and also get ready for some crazy fights in general before the end of the year. As always, it's been Jake Murren and Alex Henry, and we are signing off.